Philippians chapter 1, 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer a joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Chris, appreciate that. We are second uh, week of our journey through the book of Philippians. And um, again, right at the very beginning, I'll apologize for the way I pronounce it. I get it wrong. I've got it wrong for the past uh, 40 years, so you can't really expect me to get it right now. Uh, But we'll work through. We're looking at this letter uh, of Paul the Apostle to the church at Philippi. Uh, and we, as we've got it up there, it's a letter to the church at Philippi and escape. Here we are, we are a church, we are a gathering of God's people. And in one sense, the timeless letter, message of the apostle to the church, in a church which was almost 2,000 years ago in existence, uh, is equally applicable to us today. That's why it's a letter to both of us. It's a letter to every church because it is the timeless message of God to his people for all time. And so we're going to be working through this. But before we do that, let's uh, commit our time to God briefly in prayer. Father, we come before you and uh, we acknowledge that as we turn to your living word, we we are working with truths which are beyond our comprehension in our human state. And so we desperately need for you to teach us. We thank you that you have not left us alone, but as Jesus promised, it is a good thing for me to return to heaven because then I can send the counselor to be with you, my Holy Spirit, the ongoing presence of Jesus in this world, the living Son of God, continues to abide with his people by your presence. And so we plead with you that you would instruct us from your word this afternoon, that you would help us. Father, there are many reasons why your word would bounce off our minds. We might come with bad attitudes. We might come with distractions. We might come with disinterest or fears. Whatever the different issues that each one of us face, We pray that you would break through that and that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You know, one of the things that we see about, um, or one of the ideas that we very easily fall into when we look at uh, ancient parts of, uh, of history is that we, we have quite, um, quite a smug idea, really, don't we? We often think as though we've developed, that we are the ones who've kind of got it together, and when we look at back at the ancients, we, realize, we often think, well, they were just learning. You know, they, they're the babies, uh, and we've, we've now matured, we've grown up. I think one of the things that we continually find as we work through the Bible is that we see that the same challenges that we face in our lives, in this world that we live in today, are reflected in the words of the Bible, which tells us that the same issues are faced by individuals then as we face now. That's one of the reasons why this is a timeless message, because we haven't grown up. We haven't learned from history. We continue to grapple with the same issues, the same challenges, because at root, our, our nature as people has not changed. It might present itself in slightly different ways. One of the things that we see in, in ancient times is a really strong commitment to the idea of communities. The idea of being part of a gathering of people. Uh, and we often feel, don't we, as though we've grown up from that now. We've become uh, those who, who uh, are now focused on the rights of the individual. I would suggest a curse on both your houses. <laughs> uh, because actually the individual-driven culture uh, is no better than the failures of the uh, community culture of times gone by. And you might say, well, how, how do you work that out? Aren't we, aren't we to be a part of a community? Well, yes, we are. But you see, one of the things that we see is that the human nature can't work in communities in either way. Uh, if, we, if we work on being part of a, a kind of a social community, if we work on being part of something bigger the only way in our human nature that we can drive that forward is by creating an environment where the only way that we can control each other is by putting a, a level of guilt on each other. We, we, we kind of live in a, a guilt-driven society. There are many parts of the world that continue to be just that, guilt-driven societies. Everybody's community concerned. Oh yeah, everybody is community concerned. But it's driven by guilt, a shame culture. You know, you, you mustn't do that because you will bring shame on your family, on yourself, in the light of this society that we live in. This kind of shame-driven experience. And so, so relationships can be driven by that. In fact, one of the things that we see again and again in the Bible is that that was the environment in which many people lived, this shame-driven society. We've got rid of shame, haven't we? We don't feel shame anymore. Uh, we don't get driven by that. I can be who I am. I can do what I like. If you found out about me, I'm not going to be concerned because, after all, I'm an individual. And that doesn't work either, does it? One of the things that the gospel of Jesus introduces to us 
is the potential of a radically transformed relationship with each other. Something which does not bring us together and kind of order us and control us because we're too scared to be really who we are and, and you know, we're not shame-driven. But nor are we individuals. <laughs> we are accountable to each other, but the gospel brings in the potential for us to live in a situation, in an environment, in, a, in, in, in relationship with other people where I can truly be who I am, warts and all, but working for something better. So what a transformation that is. What a significantly different way of living that is. It is so remarkably different that it can only be uh, understood in the light of something outside of this world. And Paul says that, as we see in this, this opening chapter, he says uh, that I, Paul and Timothy, we are servants of Jesus Christ uh, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So we are believers in Jesus. That brings us into a different relationship. It creates a new foundation, a foundation which is based on the way that we have been accepted by God. Am I accepted by God because I am, I am good enough that my shame does not let me down? That's a shame culture, isn't it? That's kind of shame-driven. Am I good enough that... that I haven't got anything that's, that God sees that he's ashamed of and therefore is going to push me away. No, I have got tons of stuff that God knows all about and yet he doesn't push me away. But nor am I in a, in a relationship with God where that doesn't matter where my life is, is irrelevant, where I can be an individual. No, the gospel comes in and through Jesus and, he say, and it says this. I accept you for who you are because of the, my son. But we're not going to stay like that. We're going to change. There is going to be a process. You are not kicked out because of your failures. You're embraced in your failure. But it's not going to stay like that. And what your relationship is with me starts to wash out in your relationships with each other. I think that this, that's why this letter is so critical for us at this stage uh, of, of our life as a church here. Really getting to grips with what this means as those who have been accepted by Jesus and are being changed and therefore how it relates in our relationships with each other. Let's see how this works out, how Paul explains this. Firstly, he says, my relationship is transformed. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. The words that are used there would have shaken uh, the ancients. I thank my God. Paul is saying here that the God of creation, 
The God who, who is above and uh, the, the, the deity, the creator who is unseen yet seen in Jesus is personally related in my relationship with him. This is my God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? For him to be able to open up and say, this is a personal expression of my relationship with this God. I I speak to this God about you. I thank God for you. My relationship with this God has been so transformed that, that I thank him for you. He sees this church in Philippi, this group of Christians, he sees them as a gift from God. That is a radically different idea of relationship, isn't it? Why do we, why do we look for friendships? Why do we look for relationships in our nature? We, we search them out, don't we? To some extent, we look for them. Why do we look for relationships? To secure and to bolster and to encourage who I am. To reinforce me, to strengthen me, to help me. We very rarely, in fact I don't think we can get to this point unless God breaks into our thinking and changes the way we think for us to be able to say this group of people who I have come into relationship with are not people who I have searched out. They are people who God has placed in my life as a gift. All of this church, Paul says, all of you at Philippi are a gift from God. I don't know about you, but that if, if we say that in this gathering, in this room, this afternoon, isn't there a tendency for us to think, well, I have certain people who are my friends, certain people who I consider myself to be in relationship with. They're the ones who kind of match my thoughts, my ideas. And Paul says, no. That's not how it is. Actually, all of God's people are a gift of relationship to me. The ones that I find difficult. The ones that are are, uh, a challenge to me. Why? Because they challenge me. They change me. They transform me. You know, we said earlier that, that relationship is not just about staying still. It's about changing. You know? The reality is, isn't it, that that we can only learn patience and kindness when we're faced with something that challenges patience and kindness. You know, we we can't just say, I'm going to get up this morning in isolation and I'm going to learn how to be patient with other people and walk out into a field and say, right, I'm going to learn how to be patient with other people. I need other people to learn to be patient with, don't I? I can't do it without you. Now, let me just say this openly to you. There are so many things that I need to get changed in my life. I need to learn more patience. I need to learn more kindness. We all do. But let me just say this. I cannot do that without you. 
We need each other. The spread, the breadth, the variety of different people with different backgrounds, different experiences, different personalities, different approaches, the approaches that challenge us. What are they doing? They're knocking the edges off me, or at least they should be. If I've got a mindset which is that these people around me are a gift from God. They're not people who I have sought out who will reinforce who I am. They are people who God has put into my life so that I might be changed. Look at how this works through. Uh, Paul thanks God in every prayer of mine for all Uh, For you all, making my prayer with joy. It's a joy for me to remember you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's a joy. Later on in the the, uh, letter, in fact, Philippians 4.2, we read that not everybody in the church at Philippi was working out in relationship the way it should. There was tensions, there was difficulties, not massive issues, but there was issues. And yet for Paul, what he's able to say is every prayer, I don't think he's saying that I am just continually praying. Uh, What he's saying is that all the time that I pray, you come to my mind. You're on my heart before God. I give thanks for you. And, And as I remember you, it's with joy. I'm just joyful thinking about you. I'm joyful thinking about even those difficulties, even those challenges. There is something in that which is bigger than the challenge that I immediately face. I was watching a documentary uh, a few months ago. It was on the, in fact, it must have been a few years ago now. It was on the life of Michael Jackson. And um, it was actually tragic watching it. As you watch his life, you see a man who is desperately, desperately looking to be accepted, to be loved. Uh, But because of his status, because of his, uh, yeah, wealth, uh, because of his public um, persona, there was nobody who would stand up to him. Everybody around him just spent all of their time just affirming him for who he was. What a tragedy. What a desperate situation that there wasn't anybody there who would stand up and say, you know what, I love you enough. When I think of you, I am filled with so much joy that I am prepared to say, stop. I saw him running around a shop. He spent, I think it was a million and a half dollars in 45 minutes in a a shop in Los Angeles. Uh, Just just amazing to watch. I I didn't think it was possible to spend that kind of money in that kind of time. He did. It was a million and a half dollars on this and that, and I love that and I want that. And there was nobody saying, Michael, just stop. (laughs) Just stop. Can I make a request? To all of us, do we love each other? Do we care each o- about each other? Are we so concerned for each other that there are times when we're prepared to, to not just reaffirm each other, 
Not just kind of sit there, just continually building each other up when we can see. You know, isn't it horrible to think that somebody might see us heading off in a direction which is not going to be helpful uh, and they just, to our face, it's, oh yeah, that's great. And then they go away and they talk to somebody else and say, he's, got, he's off doing this. I don't, if I'm there, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. I need more than that from you if you're my friends. If we are in this kind of deep relationship, I need people, you need people, who are going to put, my, put their arm around me and say, listen, just stop a minute. I'm not just going to blow smoke. Just stop. We need that because that is what Jesus does for us. That is modeling Jesus, isn't it? One of the things that we find in the, in, in the life of Jesus in the Gospels is he does not spend his life wandering around just continually making people feel good in the situation that they're in. There are many, many, many times when he loves people enough, he's concerned about people enough to just say it as it is. And so when we have that that relationship which is so, so knitted together as Paul clearly is with these, this church at Philippi where he's able to say, I, I give thanks for you. I, I, every bit of my, my thought of you is filled with joy but I am prepared to say it, say it as it is. He then goes on to say, I'm delighted to remember you because of your partnership in the gospel. I think of you and I realize that we are knit together in something which is bigger than any one of us. It's the progress of the gospel in this world. The church at Philippi have been remarkably supportive of Paul. Down for the past 11 years, it's been a consistent thing. They've been there. And he's able to write 11 years on from what we looked at last week in the book of Acts where we see the founding of the church at Philippi, Paul is able to say 11 years on, I think of you, I'm filled with joy because of these past 11 years where you've stuck with it and you've continued to be a partner with me in the gospel. You've got a vision which is bigger than your immediate city, your immediate um, congregation, your immediate family You've got an idea which the gospel is bigger than all of that and you're a partner with me. I'm just delighted with that. What does it mean to be a partner? Well, we see it just in the immediate. I think we see a little indication uh, in in Acts chapter 16. We see three people who are converted. Very different backgrounds. Lydia... Uh, businesswoman in the city, obviously a respected woman. Uh, her home, it would seem, was a big home because everybody met there. Uh, but at the, uh, after Lydia, we see the conversion of a, a slave girl. Couldn't be more different. And then we see the conversion of a Roman jailer. Couldn't be more different again. What we see at the concluding of the chapter is this. Uh, After Paul and Silas have come out of prison, they go and they visit Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, those those others who are in faith, who have come into that 
gathering of God's people, they encouraged them and departed. It's just a little window into the life of Lydia. Her life has been transformed. Her doors are open now to her home. There's people there that Paul's meeting in her home. He's encouraging them. He's sharing with them. uh, Building up the church there. Uh, And suddenly relationships for Lydia have been transformed. People who she probably would never have spent time with. Her doors are open to. People who she would probably in the past have looked down on socially. Her doors are open to. She's from a Jewish family. Her doors have opened up to a Roman jailer. Something that would never have happened before. You see, the impact of what happens when we come into relationship with Jesus, our doors open to people who they would never have opened to before. And that's a kind of of picture that if we open the doors of our home, we're opening the doors of our hearts, or at least we were in ancient times. That's what Lydia is doing. And Paul's able to say to this uh, church at Philippi, you've been a partner to me. We're at the beginning of the establishment of a church here. Just like the situation in Acts chapter 16. We haven't got an apostle who's wandered in and and is able to preach majestically and and it's not as though there's things going on the way they were in Acts but we're here and we're starting real partnership is about the giving of resource that's what Lydia does whatever that resource is that you have you know one of the most precious resources is time In fact, I would say it is the most scarce commodity, isn't it, these days? Real partnership in the gospel is about giving things. Giving time. Giving emotional energy. Giving financially. Giving. Why? Is it it this idea that, you know, you become a Christian and then you suddenly follow all of these rules? No, absolutely not. What it is, is this. I've come into relationship with Jesus, who has opened the floodgates of heaven. The riches of heaven are poured out on me. I don't see it yet, but there is going to come a day when I, when I see Jesus face to face, and everything that is his, is mine. He has held nothing back. In fact, the fact that I am able to say I am a Christian is because he didn't even hold his life back. He just poured out. He he didn't hold on to a single gram of anything. He pours it out. And again, pouring out our resource is modelling Jesus to each other, isn't it? Doesn't that change again? Doesn't that transform our relationship? You know, one of the things that the, the Roman, uh, Roman culture, Philippi was, was a, uh, had special status in the Roman Empire as a city. Um, one of the things that the Roman em- Empire really based its foundation on was that, yeah, there was a lot of giving, but it was always, always with the expectation 
that you would receive back. What did that create? It created stratas of giving so that those who were astoundingly rich were astoundingly generous. But only to those who they knew could be astoundingly generous back. (laughs) And the middle classes, although the very, very few in the middle classes, probably those who were somewhere somewhere beyond the poverty line, you know, the the kind of um, the trades class, they would be astoundingly generous to everybody who they thought could pay them back. Or if they were really, really smart, they'd find a way to be astoundingly generous to somebody a bit richer. <laughs> you know, somebody in the upper class. Because then, if you get, if you get into that, and you, you're shown to be generous to that, wow, it's going to pour back. Uh, because that's the way society worked. What did Jesus do? He came into this world laying aside more riches than we can ever imagine. And then he poured out himself on people who can never, never, never give him back. We just can't pay him back. But he poured it out to people who could not give him back. He came and he completely subverted society. And he's saying to us at the beginning of this church the founding of this congregation, to be really, really committed to the gospel is to be the kind of people who will give without ever expecting it back. But you know, the amazing thing is this, that God promises, you know what, you can let go of anything. Whatever it is, you can let go of it. Whether it's time, whether it's emotional energy, whether it's money, you can let go of it because there is so much more to come. You're holding on to things which are so temporary. Just just pour it out. Let it go. Be a partner in the gospel. See that if my commitment, and this is where the Philippi church are, our commitment, our support of Paul has secured by his preaching salvation for people in parts of the world that we've never seen. But you know what? We're going to see those people in heaven for all of eternity. (laughs) That's a partner in the gospel, isn't it? That's a big vision that they had. And that's what transformed their mindset. We just give. And if you're beginning to think as we work through this, you know what? We're just opening this up. I don't think I can do that. I've got a real problem. Because I know that there are things that I want to hold on to. I know that, you know, as soon as that particular person comes up to me and starts talking about that situation that they're in, it scares me. I want to walk the other way. Because as soon as they start opening up about that, I know that my emotional energy is at stake. My resource is at stake. I know that if I give in this way, then, then I am not going to be able to do X, Y, Z, whatever it was that I was planning on doing. I, don't th- I need to be changed. <laughs> We're back to the beginning, aren't we? I need people around me to get changed. But something else that we see opening up in this. 
we see that Paul says, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That is an amazing verse. It says this. Let's let's personalize it. It says, the work that's gone on in the life of this guy here, stood in front of you, is not based on me. It's based on what God has started in me. And therefore, any tiny little changes that go on are the result of his engagement with me, placing me in situations which knock off the edges, which make me rethink, which strip me at times of the things that I rely on and force me to say, let go. And I'm struggling with that at times and saying, I don't think I can. And he says, look, it's not down to you. It wasn't down to you at the beginning. It's not down to you right at this moment in time, and it's not down to you for security into the future. If I've started it in you, I'll finish it. I'll bring it to completion. You might be thinking, you know, one of the things, I I don't want to start this Christian faith. I know what I'm like. I have a tendency to start things and then not finish them off. In fact, if I know what I'm like, I have a tendency to get excited about things and then they drop off. Or you might be thinking, I'm not sure that I can do this because I'm just not good enough to live out those kind of changes. Just not good enough. (laughs) Look at this verse. Because what begins in you, the fact that you're here and you're beginning to think... I would guess in ways that you're surprised at times that you're even beginning to think. Is that God beginning a work in you? Let me give you this assurance on the basis of this verse. If he has begun a work in you, he is going to finish it. That's great news. It's based on the cross, actually. It's based on what first brings us into relationship with Jesus. The cross. That is a complete work. It's finished. In fact, we can tie this verse directly to the cross. Because Jesus, at the very point at which he died, he shouts out, Tetelesti. One word in the Greek. It is finished. It's a triumphant cry. It's a cry of success. It's a cry of completion and satisfaction. And it applies to me and you in our lives. It says that the work of the cross means that when I start, it's a work that God is going to finish. It's going to finish. He's going to complete it. Because he completed it back there 2,000 years ago. It's complete. My salvation is secure because of that. Not because of me. Not because of me being able to work these things out. But because he's, got, he's implanted in me and in you a desire to say, I want these things to work out. 
I want, I want to continue getting get knocked out of shape and bent and twisted and reshaped into something new and something more beautiful than I could ever imagine it possible. So that one day it says that I will be so transformed that I will be like him. He'll complete it. I don't like me. I'm not on some sort of, you know, a, a kind of woe is me. It's, this is not some sort of emotional outpouring. I don't like me in an objective way. Because I don't like the reality of what I know about myself. And, and I would say that all of us, to some extent, c can, can say that. But, <laughs> without Jesus and without the cross, that is going to destroy us, isn't it? I don't like me. I don't like the reality. And if there's no hope of change, I am a goner. I am finished. I am wiped out. Because my self-esteem, quite honestly, cannot build up bigger than the reality of my mess inside. It just can't overcome it. And yet this verse says that what Jesus has begun, he'll finish. He will complete it. He will transform us. He will bring into completion what he has begun. What a great confidence that brings us to. So that we're able to say as we look forward that I am going to be brought into relationship on the day, in the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Where is the completion? The day of Jesus Christ. One moment where all of this gets wrapped up and the reality is opened up before us. Am I in relationship with God? Am I known by Jesus? On that day, on that day, he'll bring it to completion. Wow. I need to know that, don't I? I need to know that that is true. Just as we close, let me say this. Paul opens up in verse 7. A perspective which is mind-blowing, he says. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. You know, we're in this together. Grace has been poured out on both of us. But then he goes on to say, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's able to say that my relationship with Jesus is bigger than the fact that I'm in prison at this point in time. It's bigger than that. I look forward to a relationship which means that I can go through this now. <laughs> because I know that one day when I see him, I will be transformed. That's back to the cross as well, actually. Jesus says, uh, Tate a triumphant cry. But we read in Hebrews this, we read this, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He had a vision beyond the cross. He saw what was to come. 
and therefore was able to endure the cross. And it says to us, you know what, that situation that you're in right at this point in time, that tragedy that you're facing, that relationship crisis that you're grappling with, it feels like a prison, doesn't it? It feels like a prison at times. I am imprisoned. (laughs) Paul says, my relationship with Jesus is bigger than that. That is life transforming. That just changes everything. And Paul is able to express to these Philippines, we're changed. Let's get in relationship together. Let's be committed to something bigger. And let's have a vision which is beyond this immediate. Transformed relationships. May that be a foundation for us as we begin this journey together. I'm going to sing as we close how deep the Father's love for us.